If you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to Micah 7.7? We're going to bounce a little bit between Micah 7 and Hebrews 11 and 12 this morning. It is Vision Sunday, and um, often on Vision Sunday, there's a few things, getting old. On Vision Sunday, we take time uh, to announce a couple things, some exciting things that are coming up in the life of our community. Vision. It says in the scriptures that without vision, the people perish. Without clarity of where we're going, right? If you're going in every which direction, it's really difficult sometimes to figure out where you're going if you're going in every, every which way. Vision gives us clarity on where we're going. And though the way, if you're brand new with us, the way that we have tried to make sense of doing church here in Providence, of, of as the community has grown, asking the question, where are their home groups? Where are there people in a given neighborhood who have a heart and a vision to love the hell out of that neighborhood and love the hell out of that region, to pray on the east side as it is in heaven, to pray on the north end as it is in heaven, to pray over this region, over down city. As we have done that, we recognize that there are things that bind us all together. The vision and songs and languages vary between congregations sometimes. I heard someone say, walking into um, Sanctuary North, it feels just like Sanctuary, but they got like a completely different outfit on. Right, like different people have ways of articulating this, but this this community of leaders and this uh, elders that are coming together that centralize pastors that get together every week to pray and dream together. Even though sermons may sound different, we're walking together through the, some of the same texts and the same ideas of what it means to be formed in the way of Jesus. There is something important about coming together. And, and making sure that we're all on the same page in some real central areas. And so that's what we're doing today, having some vision. Come on, come on. That's good. Someone wants to help me out with that, that'd be great. Let me get me another stand, it'd be awesome. If not, I can go down here. Um, <laughs> This helps us make sense of what's important and what's not important. So a couple things I wanted to announce. So uh, a few things that have been happening that is actually one is happening one more this year, 2019, uh, is happening the last one tonight, College Hill Nights. College students in the room, where are you at? University students, give it up. I hope you guys are all coming back. I know a number of folks are coming tonight for College Hill Night. This was a brand new ministry that we started this year, and we have seen it grow over the last two times together. And we have seen people come to know Jesus. We've seen um, over 30 folks recommit their lives to Jesus. Uh, we're seeing folks from outside our church who are not connected with a local church come and gather on Thayer Street. And so college, now it's way too tall. <laughs> college Hill Night has been this in, just this incredible space that we are believing it's gonna continue to grow and are committed to doing this through the year and asking the question as we're raising up a team. There's now about 12 folks who are like identified as part of this College Hill team and we're just believing that God has positioned us in a city like this with so many different universities around with an influence within the college community that God wants to put together some sort of space that would influence, um, influence the country. 
Like believing that there may be like a, a conference or there's like regular ways of training and influencing uh, this next generation of students. So it's just been an unbelievable thing. I want to celebrate that from across our parishes. Two, uh, Century North has helped spearhead and start a youth group that is for all of our neighborhood congregations. And so, yeah, so this next year we are committed to pressing in. We have never had a youth group. That's right. Sanctuary has always been sort of this weird young church-ish Thing that we're like, do we, aren't we a youth church? We're not really a youth church. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Rick and I look at each other and we're like, we're old. It's, it's time. It's time. So uh, I just want to celebrate that. In 2020, we are going to see our, our youth group expand and grow and leaders come on board. Yeah, we can clap for these things. I'm going to need you to shout down. We are adding another, we have had two Alpha classes, we're adding a third Alpha class going into the new year. Alpha is a place where we can explore the way of Jesus, these safe places, and launching another Alpha going into the new year. Another thing we're excited to do is Healing Hope has been a recovery, like an Al-Anon and recovery space, this really interesting prayerful space. We've realized there needs to be more in regular places for our recovery community, which I know there are so many of you out here. It's been, you've been an unbelievable blessing and gift to this community in helping us make sense of what it is to walk in grace and mercy. And so we are excited to announce that 2020, we're going to be launching a Celebrate Recovery class. Yeah, it's going to be good. Starting really before we even get to 2020, in the end of 2019 here, we are uh, taking and uh, taking our work around caring for foster kids and foster families to the next level. And so we are going to make sure, as we did last year, and expanding this reach, uh, and we're launching this campaign uh, over social media this week. But bags of hope, we want to make sure that every single kid in foster care is getting a bag full of presents and gifts. We are blessing all of DCYF with a big meal. Uh, we are committing to praying alongside a number of other churches that have gathered together to make sure... Uh, the foster community uh, is covered in prayer. Wraparound, our outpost that is helping care for foster families, just had an amazing, the best fall festival yet and are expanding their reach going into the new year. And so we are just really excited about the opportunities we have. Um, this, this last week, I want to share a story. Uh, this person may even be in the room, but like somebody who got connected with our community in a moment of just real need, um, who... who um, is now out of the, phased out of the foster system. And we had an opportunity to help walk with them and provide for them. And we're realizing through a number of ways that God keeps bringing our attention back to this. So this may not be your thing that God's called you to be a part of, but it is most definitely our thing. And we are gonna just continue to invite folks to be people who are consistently pro-life. You know what I mean by that? Like there are folks in this city, the kids who don't have a home, and we are going to invite, and we believe our church is going to step up, and we are going to see people in our church become foster parents. We've already seen a handful, but it's just a seed of the bigger thing that God wants to do. So bags of hope and wrap around and providing these books and meals and caring for DCYF, we believe that God's going to raise up more and more folks who are going to say, no, I'm in to help foster these kids and walk with them. Can we please give an amen for what God's doing? We're launching a brand new uh, congregation, sort of. We have realized that our, um, uh, this won't, uh, Rick doesn't know about this because he's got a flip phone now. <laughs> there is a lot of people that circle our congregation, that circle our church on social media. 
who look in and peek in. The amount of times I see on our main accounts people asking questions and they want to peer in to see what's going on. There is an opportunity for influence. There is a neighborhood that we need to ask, how do we help reach and engage them? And it's a number of folks in our city who see sanctuary from a distance as a cool, safe, whatever they see us as on social media, a fake image of who we are. But an image nonetheless of trying to be faithful to loving our city well. And so we are going to launch a series of videos this next year, these short things that are meant to like look that person in the eye and explain a bit about what church is and demystify a little bit about what it means to be a part of a community and who Jesus is, an evangelistic outreach, an opportunity to demonstrate equipment that's been given to call it yet. We're just believing it for us to press in for, to uh, what is thousands and thousands and thousands of people across our city who we can see daily are peering in on our community and a chance to look them in the eye and reach them through a number of different means. So we're really excited about this team coming together in 2020. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Oh, my Lord. We have more home churches and more mission outposts than ever before in our church. More people coming together to study and learn about the way of Jesus than we have ever had in the history of our church. And we want to see that go further. We want to see more outposts. We would love to see 20 new outposts in 2020 just because simply 2020 and 20 sounds really good. We want to see more. We want to see more people, if you don't know what that is, lean into their call recognizing, we, we just, I just met with someone the other day, and I don't want to blow this person's spot up, but just who's talking about what it means uh, to grieve well and helping others, not just in our church, but around our city and introducing them to the way of Jesus through the process of creating safe spaces for grieving, things like that. Seeing people have visions for starting outposts, little home groups and expressions of the church and hospitals. We are really excited uh, about this, uh, this money and resources that we have ready to put behind you who God's given a call to be an, an outreach and extension of the church. So let's get excited about that. All right. That one didn't get as much love, but you know. Vision. Without vision, the people perish. Because vision gives like the pain that we experience in this world a purpose. Vision allows us to endure difficult, difficult seasons. Vision helps make sense of the suffering, the ache, and the disconnect that so many of us feel. When Pastor Rick got back um, this summer uh, from being away for a few weeks, some of our other leaders were away. It was a, like a nice, quiet July for me. And so Rick and I tend to get together at the end of the summer and ask, all right, what do, you, what do we sense God's putting on our heart? So the vision isn't like an Andrew goes up on the mountain and comes down with the word thing. As we're talking about it with others, and Rick and I sit down, and usually there's something, we want something really catchy, something really cool, something that will like set the mark, something like kind of hypey, even though we don't like to be hypey. It just feels like that's the one time you should be hypey, vision. And I think Rick and I were both a little sheepish in letting each other know what was on our heart. So it was one of these, like, you go first. No, you go first. No, you, I mean, I'm just saying, no, you go. No, no, no. And then finally, we're just like, I just, I, Rick just looks at me like, I feel like we just, God gave us this real clear call last year, and we're, we're supposed to keep doing that. Like, keep doing, like, the same thing we're doing. And I looked at him, and he's like, I'm just, I look at him, and I go, the two words that God gave me, clear as day, we just keep going. I keep going. I thought, that is not a hypey vision thing at all. 
Love that the beginning of Micah 7 is up there right now. You guys are all distracted by this depressing verse. <laughs> We're going to read that in a minute. Just, just keep going. And then in the midst of praying through that, God gave us this verse, which does start fairly depressing. What misery is mine. Awesome. Vision Sunday. Welcome to Sanctuary. I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. When you went and gleaned the, 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 the vineyards, there'd always be extra. Always, always, always. It's like I'm going back in to get like a good treat. I'm gonna glean, glean the, uh, the vineyard and there's nothing there. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. This person's having a bad day. They hunt each other with nets. Not knives, not guns, nets. I'm gonna stop at the commentary. Both hands are skilled in doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts brides. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all seem to conspire together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day God visits you has come. The day your watchmen sound the alarm. Now is the time of your confusion. Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard your words of your lips. For a son dishonors his father and a daughter rises up against her mother. Now there's this disruption even in the family system. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies are the members of his own household. But as for me, would you say, but as for me? me. Would you say it one more time? But as for me, me. I Watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. I will watch. I will gaze attentively. I will pay close attention. This prophet, like so many other prophets, if you're familiar with the Bible, and if you're not, this is the story of this Hebrew tribe that was called to be a blessing to the world. This is the beginning of the really the Christian story in a a lot of ways. The beginning of the story of the church. They were blessed to be a blessing. Called out to be a blessing to the world. And they were just failing. And so we find them post-exile just missing the mark. And the two places they most often miss the mark throughout scripture. And this happens again in Micah. Is this. Idolatry and failing to care for the poor. Unbelievable idolatry and failing to care for the hurting and poor and oppressed among us. Does this sound like any moment in time we may or may not be in? Unbelievable, putting everything in front of God possible. So many opportunities, more opportunities than ever before for idolatry. And failing to care for the hurting and the poor and the oppressed. The triad in scripture, the fatherless, the foreigner, and the widow. That is very hot. And so the writer, this prophet goes, I'm looking around and I'm a little bit exhausted. Anybody else exhausted? If you're exhausted, maybe just turn to your neighbor and just look at them with like a death stare. Anyone else tired of the news? Anyone else feel the ache? Look, can I have an inside moment here, church? Just, just for those of you who are brand new with us, just peer in a little, little family meeting real quick. It's been a hard season, church. 
There's been a lot of folks in our community who have been really like wrapped up in the pain and ache of, of, of falling off the recovery wagon, right? There've been a lot of folks in our community who were shocked but have like gotten divorced and we never thought could ever got. Like there's been folks in our community who are racked with like the, the pain of doubt. They're seeing, we're seeing friends walk away from Jesus. We are hemorrhaging a generation. Tell me this resonates with somebody in the room. It's not like an amen moment, but like, mm-hmm. Are you feeling this? Do we feel this ache? It's really hard to turn on the news. It's really, really hard to feel like there's hope. In fact, what ends up happening, if you're here like, no, I'm feeling pretty good. Well, you've done what many people have done, and I don't really blame you. You've gone into that Netflix silo. You have gone into, and I, I get it. Well, I'm gonna just amuse myself to death because I can't. There's just too much to engage in. We talk a lot downtown about our, the sphere of influence, what we can do, and our sphere of control. Like our, our sorry, our sphere of control, our sphere of influence, and our sphere of concern, I'm sorry. Our sphere of concern is so big, we're concerned about so much, but our actual sphere of, of influence and control is so small, and that disconnect of what we know we can do, but what we feel is massive, the ache. And this writer says, but as for me, I don't know if he says it angrily, I don't know if he's quiet when he says it, but ask for me. But we could write our own versions of verses one to six, could we not? I look around and there's this. I look around and there's this. I look around and I see this. I see this in my family. I see this in my community. I see this in my neighborhood. But ask for me. There's resolve. See, but as for me is about resolve. As for me is about courage. I will wait and hope. I will wait and I will hope. I will look. I didn't expect that. I expected, but as for me, I will fight the good fight against injustice. Right? But as for me, I will pick up my cross and go. But as for me, send me, Lord, I'm ready to charge in. And the invitation is seemingly a little passive. But as for me, I will stand still, wait, hope, long. Why? Why? Why is the writer, why is the prophet saying, but as for me, I'm going to wait expectantly. I'm going to watch expectantly. I'm going to have this confident expectation that something's going to change, that someone's going to show up. I'm going to have this hope of the assurance that God has got this. I am not going to waver. I am going to wait. I am going to wait. But as for me, is about faith. As for me, well, this is about, this is about faith. Faith to keep going when your back is against the wall. Faith to keep going when everything seems to be falling apart. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Someone sent me a picture the other day of, a, of a, some massive church um, south of the Mason-Dixon line, because I'm convinced that's where these things live. And they sent me a picture of it. It was a Christian coffee shop. 
that and the name of the coffee shop literally was Hebrews. That's initiative for 2021. We are launching Hebrews Coffee. Emily Cordone's leading the charge. <laughs> Here's my favorite passage. But as for me, it's about faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is just illogical. Sure of what we hope for. I am sure of what we hope for. Sure of what we hope for. I'm absolutely sure. Certain of what we can't see. See, faith is sort of like I heard one writer said, faith is kind of like Wi-Fi. It's like invisible, but has the power to connect you to what you need. Faith, faith, there's something about faith where there's a confidence expectation of how things will move and turn out. Faith is not about checking your intellect or your discernment at the door, but it is recognizing that it's more than your logic that affects how you operate. Faith is saying it's more than just your logic and, and, and the way in which it makes sense of the world. Faith, Christian faith, why it's a virtue is not because you want a bunch of people checking their brains at the door. No, no, no. Faith is realizing and owning the human reality that I have found that most people walk away from the faith because of external circumstances that have happened to them and their own emotions and their own brokenness inside. It has almost nothing to do with the 6,000 books I could hand them about the various things that they say they're wrestling with. Got a little personal there for me. I'm sorry. Faith. C.S. Lewis talks about faith. No, faith is a virtue because it's keeping in check the fact that so many things outside of our logic are the things that pull us away from what we know to be true. Anyone of you who are married, you know that. You know that. You know this to be true. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. See, see faith Faith is, is God inviting us into relationship. This is the way God works. God gives you what you need when you need it. We all want to know what tomorrow holds. And if God has shown me, if God had shown me this 10 years ago, before this church was ever started, if God had shown me this, I'm quite positive I would have walked away. Not because you all don't look cute this morning. If I had known everything that I had to walk through over the last seven to eight years, if I had known all that, I'm quite positive I would have reconsidered taking this call. No, no, no. Faith is saying, like, trust me. I want to invite you in. Have confidence that I am leading you where you need to go and you are where you need to be and you have what you need for the moment that you're in. Faith, there's an invitation here. Because the pain sometimes is more than we can bear when we look out into the future. And God is inviting us to see just enough for the journey. The fuel for your future. The fuel for your future is faith. Hebrews 11 keeps going here. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Why? Why? Because when we activate our faith, we rely more on God than we do ourselves. We rely more on him than we do ourselves. I believe, God, that you have the answer. This goes back to the garden. I want it to trust me. I recognize this when I see my kids when Harper, my, my oldest daughter, 
It is her, when she trusts me, it pleases me so much. Now, I'm not a perfect father, so this is not a perfect analogy. But most of the time, for a six-year-old, I pretty much know what's best for her, for the most part. And so when she just trusts me, when I don't have time to launch into an answer that even if I did give her, she wouldn't understand, it pleases me. It brings me joy. God is like, this is the great sin that happens in the garden. They don't trust No, we could just be just like God. We could know everything. God's like, no, I want to walk with you. I want to be your king, not because I have power issues. And because we in our current cultural moment have so many people with so many jacked up power issues, rightly so, seeing so much abuse, we want to throw out power and authority altogether. No, 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 we need to reclaim good power and authority. We need to reclaim the fact that we need to be led by the, our good father who wants to see us fully become who he created us to be. Maybe the author of who we are might know a little bit more about who we are and how we're wired and what's next and what we need. And so he says, oh, have faith in me. It pleases me when you have faith. Pleases me, trust me. So God to take them forward, to take them forward, goes back then and talks in this next part of this section and marches through what's, what's uh, normally called or often called like the hall of faith in the Bible. And so we get this list at this point. He starts talking about different Bible characters, different people throughout redemptive history. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended for righteousness. And he starts talking about this guy, Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away for before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. He talks about Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen and holy fear built. Like, these are people who had faith, who didn't see what was coming or weren't sure and who trusted God. By faith, Abraham, and he starts talking about Abraham. And he keeps running through this list. All these people, these people who didn't necessarily even see the promised land and where they were going, he starts stirring up their faith. He takes them back to go, let me remind you of the people who have lived this way, who have trusted me in those crossroads and those hard moments. He gets to Moses. And I want to pause on Moses for a minute. In Exodus 14, you don't have to turn there. Uh, we read, as Pharaoh approached, so this is this moment in the narrative where Moses, this guy with a speech impediment, who's incredibly full of fear, like, is bringing the Israelites and has rescued them from slavery. God has used him to be an agent of rescuing them from slavery and oppression, and they are now on their way to the promised land. They have vision of where they're going, and Pharaoh realizes, oh my gosh, I let them really go without a fight, and Pharaoh comes after him. The Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. Small little tribe of slaves, massive military army. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? They're like super excited that they just got rescued. Anybody else like moved that they just got rescued and redeemed, the door opened up and all of a sudden you're face to face with your future and you look back and all of a sudden you start glorifying your past. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? Talk about a toxic relationship. 
It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Yikes. Ever notice when you step into the future, you want to glorify your past? It's comfortable back then. It's comfortable. Because sometimes we get comfortable with toxic. Sometimes we get comfortable because it was just easier back then. Being a Christian right now is really hard. Being a follower of Jesus right now feels insane. Do you know some of the things that followers of Jesus believe? We've even got folks in our own tribe trying to rewrite the Bible to make it say a bunch of stuff that it definitely doesn't say just so they can fit in with the cultural moment. I know I'm sounding a little, you know, fire and brimstone but bear with me. You know me. Those of you who knew maybe don't know me, so don't get scared. It's comfortable back then. I'd rather die in the desert. You got, you, got, you got Moses about to say, I'd rather die in the desert than be shackled in Egypt. He says this. Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Sanctuary church, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Sanctuary church, can you say stand firm? Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. I hate when people say mic drop and then they don't drop the mic. It bothers me to no end. Let me preach this for a minute. The cultural like brokenness, the ache that we see around us, the pain and the zeitgeist of our current moment, you're not going to see it forever. The Egyptians you see today, nah, nah, you don't be afraid. Stand firm. They won't be here tomorrow. A whole lot of empires and a whole lot of ideas and a whole lot of philosophies and a whole lot of ideologies have come and gone since the start of the church, never mind the start of the Exodus, and they are in ruins. The church still stands. <laughs> there were others. I'm sorry, I'm not there yet. <laughs> with faith, with faith, with faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. He goes on with the list. This list of faith, the hall of faith, be encouraged, have faith, stand firm, have faith, have faith, have faith. And then it says, and what more shall I say in verse 32 of Hebrews 11? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign, routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. This is where I say the vision for 2020 is shutting the mouths of lions. And we all get hyped up and Brent comes up here and sings, in our time. And we're all like, done, donuts, let's do this. But the verse goes on. There were others, so some who walked in faith, some who were in this hall of faith, some when we look back at all the great folks who have walked in the way of Jesus, have an unbelievable moment of shutting the mouths of lions, but that's not the whole story. There were others who were, ready for some encouragement this morning? There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. There were some who didn't make it, some who didn't see the promised land, 
Some who lived with an ache and walked with a limp for a very long time and were there to plant seeds for what's next. But they were fine with it because they knew the end of the story, because they knew how it was all going to wrap up, because they knew there was something better and they could endure whatever the world threw at them in this moment. Because not everybody shut the mouths of lions. Some people were tortured. Some people didn't make it. Some people were lost. And so Hebrews 12, therefore, oh, here comes this encouragement for us. You just hear the, the, hall of, the hall of faith. You heard this way. We could sit here and tell stories of all those who have come before us. We could do a long Bible study, a long series on all these, these people who have stood firm, who have said, but as for me, but as for me, but as for me, but as for me, I will. I will trust in the Lord. I will watch and wait for my God. I will not take the wheel before God shows me where we are going. I will be empowered by him. I will let God lead. We could go through this whole list. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus when you grow weary. Jesus went through everything. When you consider giving up, consider him. Fixing your eyes on Jesus since you are surrounded by women and men who have laid their life down. When you acknowledge that and see that and recognize the story you're a part of, that you're not in this thing by yourself, something will well up in you. I love this. We are not new. We're not new. We're not new. Like this thing that's happening here in church is not new. There's going to be a new, a, a new thing that God does in this city long after all of us have passed on. If God doesn't come back tomorrow. We're not new. I remember I ran um, track uh, and did, did soccer and did track. I wasn't good enough to stay on the soccer team all the way through all four years. I, or either that or I was lazy. But I did track and I ended up just realizing I could just run. I, I can run fast. I really wasn't even that fast and that explosive. I went from running the 100-meter dash. wasn't fast enough for that. 200, didn't quite have what it took. 400 is like the vomit race. I went around the 400. It's just like, oh, my gosh. Like, you're just basically sprinting all the way around the track. But I really wasn't that great on my own. And so I realized as we talk about this, this baton of faith being passed to us, I was thinking about my days on this, on this team and how when people ask, oh, you play sports in, in high school. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I played soccer and I ran track. I was actually first team, you know, if I'm feeling really insecure about myself, I'll mention like, yeah, I played first team all state. What I never tell anybody, I'm about to tell, you know, 300 of my closest friends right now, is uh, I, um, I was first team all state because I was in the 400 meter relay. No, that's no, no shame on the relay. But it wasn't like I did it. And in fact, I was placed Third. Third is the spot that is the slowest runner traditionally. And so he come around the track and they get handed the baton and the next person goes and then the next person goes. And just thinking about like being handed this baton as we celebrate at the end of this. Like I knew our captain, I knew our team, I knew we were the best in the state. I knew it. I knew it. I knew where this thing was gonna go. And knowing that, 
Like my, that, my 400 meter lap was the fastest I had ever run it that time. Because when you're surrounded by, by people, you're surrounded by people who come before you and are gonna come after you. You're surrounded by people who are probably more holy, more righteous, more talented, whatever it is than you. It should spur you on. And so I proudly say I was first team all state in track in high school just to like impress my jock friends. But man, was I carried. I was surrounded. I was surrounded. The girl I was dating in high school, she would run these marathons. And I just remember we would always team up. We'd always like get groups together at different key spots in the race to encourage her. And this is what I imagine in the book of Hebrews. As she would come around the corner, yeah, we'd have a cup of water maybe for her, but we would have signs and balloons. And I remember my buddy, one time he brought like a trumpet. He was like, like, yeah, go! Like screaming her down, shouting her down. I know it's hard. And it's always you make sure you get to the moments where likely she'll most want to give up, most want to slow down. And we surround her. We cheer on. You know, it wasn't like like a Boston Marathon. So we would like run with her for a little bit, like, which is actually illegal. And like, you can do it, you can do it. You know, mile 17, you can do it. You run different when you're being watched. You move different when you're being watched. You're better together. Just last night, my brother Joman was like, dude, you got to come with us to the gym. Because I've been saying, I want to come, I want to come, I want to come. I'm going to be there. No, I'm definitely there. I'm definitely there. But I like sleep. I have three kids. I'm just, no. I, yes, but no. So we just, we resolve together. We're like, Joman's like, I'm going to come to your house. And you will be embarrassed if I'm sitting outside of your house for more than 30 seconds. That's a good friend, right? This is, I think, what Hebrews is talking about. Church, there are a whole lot of things that are going to be, that are going to push us and move us that actually don't even have a whole lot to do with logic, to steer us off course, to pull us back into our past, to pull us into sin. And more likely, the temptation is distraction, to distract us. But we are surrounded. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses cheering us on, showing up at the door. You can do this. I've done it. People after you will do it. Do it. Come on. We are better together. And when you are walking with and reminding yourself and coming together and spurring one another on in faith, it will help us move forward. I started thinking about people in my life. Don and Ellen Miller. Magnusons. People have no idea who these people are. The Arnolds. People in my youth when I was a kid who I watched faithfully serve the Lord. I watched give up the comfortability here in the States and move to really broken areas of the world and give of their life and time. I remember loving when missionaries would come in and share their like presentations of what they were going through and what was happening in the places they were. I'd just sit there, like re- not realizing it in the moment, but realizing it in retrospect. I am surrounded by what unbelievable faith. Right, I could take time, my parents are in the balcony right now. I honor my parents. Like people who've come before me, a first generation followers of Jesus, my mom and my dad. And the way in which they have done their best to break the generational sins and allowed God to work faithfully through them. Unbelievable. And now you may be here, and I'm thinking about you, and you don't have any of these stories. Maybe sanctuary is all you've known. Maybe like Pastor Rick was like the first like solid follower of Jesus you've ever met. But let me tell you this. 
When you put your faith in Jesus, you were grafted into the family. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are part of the faith legacy. And these stories that I'm sharing and the stories in the scripture, these stories are your stories. They're your stories now. They're, they're yours. This is the family that you've been a part of. All of heaven is hanging around shouting you down. A number of scholars recently have talked about how this current cultural moment that we're in within the church, within the West, because the church is exploding in China, exploding in the global South. But in the West here, we're feeling something different, hemorrhaging a generation. And it talks about how, no, this has happened before. And he describes it as the, the tide is going out. Tide's going out. Any of you even remotely familiar with the ocean, ocean state? What happens when the tide's going out? Swelling. What's coming in? What's coming in? Waves, what's coming in? When the tides come, you're like, I don't know, I don't know. This is a trick question, fish. <laughs> Note to self, that moment does not preach. Um, when the tide's coming out, people have been talking about, this has happened before in history. There's a sense that the, 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 the secular narrative the, the, the isn't working. The, the, there's a better story. And what's happening within the church, I believe, is a pruning and a sifting. And God is raising up people. I have never seen, though I've seen so much brokenness this last year, I've never seen the kind of faith coming from people I never would have expected that kind of faith to come from. We're watching something swell up. And we've been talking about this and feeling this in our community for a long time now. And so we have heaven shouting us down, encouraging us on, saying, no, 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 I know it feels hard in this moment. I know things feel difficult, but I want to remind you and invite you to keep going. I can hear Paul saying, like he says in 1 Thessalonians, you guys are doing a great job loving each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family. And yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so. You know what he says? More and more. Like, keep going. I can hear Stephen Gano, who's half of like, the east side is named after, who wrote in his journal about walking around 200 years ago, starting next year, telling stories of how every single house he would go into, he would hear the gospel being preached. He would see people praying. He would see a, a total renaissance happening. I can hear Stephen Gano saying that. I hear Micah saying to us from chapter 7, but as for me, I will keep going in the faith. But as for me, but as for me, I'm not going to turn. Because see, but as for me, is a crossroads statement. Because it's at the crossroads that you experience recommitment. It's when the tide comes all the way out and it's about to come in. It's that moment right there where there's a crossroads. It's when we're most discontent. Anyone else discontent with the way things are? It's usually the moment that that crystallizes that we move into action. But Micah reminds us before we move into action, Stop, wait, hope. God is doing something. Pay attention and lean in with greater expectancy. But as for me is a statement of resolve. But as for me is a statement of courage. Keep going. I want to see our churches have this resolve in their hearts. Because for all my football fans, you know out there that the clock determines the play. The clock determines the play.
The play you run in quarter one when everything's kind of great and time's on your side is way different than the play that you run when you're down six and there's two minutes left. How many more people are we going to lose from the church? This is an urgent moment. Keep going. Keep going. Because we can look out across our country even right now and see God beginning to swell. See the waves beginning to come in. There are three plays that we're going to call this year. And these are the same three plays we called last year. And pressing in with more urgency than ever before. We're going to start this year off with everybody having a plan for how they're going to grow deeper. Everybody in our churches has a rule of life going into the new year. Formed not by the world, but by the, by the way of Jesus. We want to see more outposts started, more people demonstrating and announcing the good news and moving in power. That the big one, as we come up on the 200-year anniversary of one of the greatest revivals, arguably the greatest that has ever hit Providence, Rhode Island, is we are seeking God's heart for awakening. When the time is urgent, this is what we are about. Micah, standing there going, I'm watching and waiting. God, would you lead us? God, I put my trust in you. I am pressing in more than ever in faith because you, Lord, know what's best. Because Jesus makes the darkness tremble. Because Jesus silences the fear. Because Jesus is saying to sanctuary, it is your time. I've placed you here and now. And so watch and wait and hope and be ready to step in. Can you hear? Can you hear the hall of faith? I know that sounds over the top, but can you hear that? This is not a new moment. We just got handed the baton at a time that's a bit complicated. Every time's a bit complicated. Every time's a bit complicated. But as for me, I will get up earlier than ever before to pray. But as for me, I will grow more and more in love. But as for me, I will put Christ first. But as for me, I will not be afraid of being some out there Jesus freak or whatever. But as for me, I will, I will step in. And our congregations, when the outsider walks in, they will look around, they will look around and see, and see us. And they will go, these people love God and they love each other. These people love God and they love each other. These people, oh my gosh, like Gillette Stadium, oh my gosh, they love God. They love God, and they are putting their trust in him. But as for me, would you stand with me, church? Anyone, anyone's faith filled up a little bit this morning? Anyone's faith filled up just a little bit? Can we give God glory? These are God's words. Fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me and run the race persevere and run the race run the race run the race run the race I'm ready to run with y'all I love you so much I can't wait Rick can't wait your home group leaders can't wait your team can't wait your neighbor next to you I believe right now can't wait to run this out heading into the new year arms open hands ready to move in faith and mercy. The big takeaway moment, the big call to faith moment right now is really simple. We're gonna worship. God inhabits the praises of his people. 
And so for anyone tempted to run out, I know it's a little longer because it's Vision Sunday. I want to invite you to stay, to lean in, to be open, to be expectant for what God might do. But more than anything else, can we give God honor and glory and praise? Can we watch for him and wait and seek him right now in this moment for just a few more minutes as we lift up praises to our God? Can we do that together? Can we do that together? Let's sing together.